0: Hello and welcome to the CC4 Museum of Welsh Cricket podcasts. I'm Stephen Hedges. This week we have the first of a series of episodes we are calling Where Are They Now?, where we talk to ex Glamorgan players about their cricketing careers and their lives after the first class game. There'll be a number of these throughout this centenary season for Glamorgan, celebrating 100 years of the county championship in Wales. First up, we are very pleased to bring you an interview with Mike Llewellyn. Mike's career with Glamorgan spanned 12 years. He made his debut aged just 16 in 1970 and at 18 years and 213 days he became the club's youngest centurion with an innings of 112 not out against a Cambridge University side captained by Majid Khan and containing future England spin bowler Phil Edmonds. He scored nearly 7,000 runs in his first class career taking a few wickets with his off breaks along the way. We arranged for our Jan Gray to interview him and as you'll hear... It was an interview that required very few questions.
1: I was born above a fish and chip shop in a place called Clidduch, which is about five or six miles to north of Swansea. And I was then brought up with my grandparents who lived uh, in Hill greig which is about a quarter of a mile from the the little village centre. And my grandfather was a really good, top-quality club cricketer predominantly a bowler, but he built uh, a 35-yard-long by five yards wide cricket strip at the back of the house in Hildreight-Villain, of which he used to teach me how to play cricket from a very, very young age. And unfortunately, whilst he was uh, I was growing up, he had a terrible accident in the colliery And uh, a gurney, uh, which is carrying coal, completely run over his leg and practically amputated his leg. And uh, he managed to get it all back together. But unfortunately, he was never the same after that. But he used to coach me then on raised um, sleepers, uh, railway sleepers, and with a chair on top of the railway sleepers. And he used to bowl bowl and bowl and bowl and bowl at me in Hilgreich And I tell you used to come there as well to play, play with us, it was then, not practice, because it was Arthur Francis, and he's a great, great pal of mine, Arthur. And we are only two days, uh, two days between us. I was born on the 27th, and he was born on the 29th, uh, November, 1953. We both went to uh, the same school, the junior school together, uh, infants, junior school, and secondary modern school, and we both used to copy off each other. So it's no wonder to us we were always finishing practically bottom of the class everywhere. <laughs> 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 oh, dear, dear, but we only had like one thing in mind in any case, and that was to sort of play cricket and hopefully to get as good as what we possibly can, and uh, and hopefully eventually turn pro. So we then we had a, I had a, a knock on the. Uh, uh, the, the side door and it was a, a gentleman by the name of Reg Cox who was the chairman of Clitter Cricket Club who asked my grandfather if he would be prepared to come and be the groundsman of Clitter Cricket Club uh, which is a beautiful little club and still going very strong today and it had a, a picture postcard cottage in the ground and that's where I was then brought up from there on in. By the way, Clitter Cricket Club, they've supplied so many first-class cricketers. I don't know if I told you this before. Yeah, and there, there was um, Alan Jones and Ivian Jones. And there was Gregory Thomas, of course. Alan Lewis Jones, Arthur Francis. There's myself. And there's a gentleman by the name of Watt Jones, who actually played only a couple of times for Glamorgan. But I think, if you look back in the records, in one game against Hampshire at Swansea, I think he took nine wickets in an It it's quite incredible but he, they seem to produce them in clinic i don't know why it must be the the water i reckon or it could be the beer maybe mm. <laughs> but uh any case, i then went up to lords so do you want me to keep going on on yeah, you what know, happened please lords please go is keep Hey, please tell me to shut up if no. you need to. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I got a, got a few things here and uh, sort of. If, yeah, when we went up to uh, to Lords in in uh, 1970, I mentioned to you about uh, Len Munzer and Alisha. But what an experience that was! Because the first time, sort of uh, moving away from Kedah, I moved into digs in London. I've never been away from Cliddich before, so you can imagine Cliddich and London, big difference. But Kevin Lyons uh, recommended for me to stay at uh, Mrs. Dennis's apartment. And I can always remember it is 220 Lauderdale Road, Lauderdale Mansions, Maida Very posh, man. (laughs) It was a a one room, tiny, tiny room. And the wages for London in nineteen seventy was twelve pounds ten shillings, because decimalization didn't come in until 71, I think. 12 pounds 10 shillings, and out of that, six pounds ten shillings went on the the apartment. There's no food in that or anything. So so I only had like a, a few quid left. And that was then to uh uh, well, for all your, you know, your eating and whatever, you know. So I can always remember it. It was, it was incredible because when you got kitted out in Lords, everybody had a a blazer and grey trousers and a nice, lovely shirt. And I've never owned a blazer in my life. Mm. I couldn't believe it. Honestly, it was. Everybody looked really smart, and uh, we all went then to the bowlers' room. Now the bowlers' room, if you look in. From the ground to the main pavilion, to the right hand side, there's uh, f- four sections, one on top of each other, and that was the original bowlers' room in Lords, and you'd have a, grades. you'd have grade four, which was the, um, the the lower level, then obviously three, two, and one, and the one with the top cricketers, out of all those say 46 on any 50 professionals at the time and Len Munson, Harvey Sharp used to organise everything there and I started off uh, on grade four and um, fortunately I I was asked if I wanted to play for the Nippers, the Lord's Nippers and they played every Sunday and um, which I said yeah I'd love to play if selected and luckily I got selected and my first match I got 100 and I got five wickets as well so that that put me in good stead (laughs) yeah and uh, so therefore I I played and within one month uh, certainly not bragging right Len Munson Harry Sharp decided to move me up to grade one incidentally it doesn't raise your wages at all you're still on the same (laughs) wage so I would really and the thing is we had enough money to get Go to the Lord's Tavern, which is outside, and out of your like, daily allowance, you could buy one large sausage. That was, yeah. that was, that was your, you had a token, see, the token for that. Uh, and uh, the, so money was really tight. That, the rest of the wages, then you, in, in the Nippers games, you had to pay for your own travel by underground or bus, wherever you were going, and also pay for your teas on, on the Sunday, So, But it was a wonderful sort of cricketing experience. And the boys were always skint, but lots of them, lots of them were quite rich as well, very rich, some of them. And, well, you know, lots of money the parents have, but uh, we were struggling a bit because my grandmother and grandfather, because he was an invalid, didn't have any money. So that was it, He just to get get on with it. And uh, the way we used to try make up some money was to by bowling at the the, um, the MCC members. And the MCC members, their their room was right on top of uh, the the main pavilion at Lord's. And they used to ring up the bowler's room and uh, request, uh, we need a bowler, got two batsmen, and then you'd go out to the nets. This is after you've trained all day in the morning, trained in the afternoon. I forgot to tell you that was before you had your duties to do in the morning which was deliver mail around to each and every place in lords then you had to go into the long room and you used to have a little cloth to clean all the little tiny little windows in the long room do all your duties then you go then you'd go out and train morning and afternoon bow to the members at night and there was this one thing that crept came into mind was uh, these two guys that came down and Len had stayed on this one night, and I'd gone out and I'd bowled them for well over an hour, and I'd got two boxes of balls, so I got twelve balls, and in the end I was bowling two nets, running into one, running into the <laughs> other, and and the last sort of like five or ten minutes they're due to finish, so they kept hitting all the balls, slogging as best they could to, get... so by the time I'd gone to get retrieve the balls in the nursery, I turned round and they'd gone. Right? So I thought, oh no, I'm not gonna get a tip. I just know I'm gonna get a tip, you know, and the tips were only like a couple of bob or something like that. And I went back in any case into the drudging into the dressing room, moaning and groaning to myself, and uh, absolutely shattered because we had an all day training, it was hard work. But in any case, then Munsa came on to me, he said, Hi Mike. He said, I said said, Mr. Munsa. And he said, uh, "Did you get tipped by?" Him? And he said, "I said no, Mister Mansell. I didn't." Sir. And uh, he went. I never seen him go nuts before in my life. There was like steam coming out of his ears. You know, he went changed, and he stormed off. And he went uh, back into the uh, long room, right upstairs to the MCC members' room. And apparently, Len uh, Harry Sharp told me later he went absolutely ballistic with these two members. So he came back down, and he got me ten bob, which is great. <laughs> I felt that's the richest I would felt for ages, you know, because I actually had some money. But that was a a, a little story at Lords. So it was interesting because it was incredible. There were actors and uh, musicians, and Mick Jagger's an MCC member. These all these guys used to come in. They always used to go uh, to nets and everything else. That was Lords, and uh, we, we had a. Uh, you know, very, very good good side there. There's lots of, as you can imagine, lots of pros went from there then on to their various uh, counties, you know, like uh, Rodney Tong was with us, Arthur Francis was with us, John, uh, um, John Hopkins, Gwyn Richards, Ian Botham, Keith Jennings. So there was it's a very good quality, uh, very good quality cricket. But there was one lady there that was absolutely wonderful, Martin Vernon, um, who played cricket for Middlesex and uh, Gloucestershire. His mother was lovely, and she, they used to, Martin used to play for the Nippers on Sunday. And she offered first time to wash all my kit, which is great. This is early doors, So all I did every Sunday is to do all my kit that was absolutely I'd given to Mrs. Vernon, and then it, Marty would bring them back all neatly done and pressed, and everything else. Which is, which is great.
2: <laughs> so you so you went from the the decorum and the, the nice dressing of lords. But I hear that um, on your debut for Glamorgan, there was a problem with you, the clothes you had to wear.
1: I only had the very basics to go up to Worcester. Mister Cliff said that I've been selected to play for the first team, and I said, "Well, Mister Cliff," I said, "All my kit," I said, "is really dirty, it needs washing, and everything else," and uh, he said, don't worry, he said, you can borrow some of my kit. I said, oh, thank you so much, Mr. Clift. Now I'm six foot one and Phil Clift is five foot six. So he, he said, you can borrow, he said you can borrow my trousers, he said. So I put his his trousers on in the in in the change room at Oxford University, realizing they're about six or seven inches too short. So it was like wearing long shorts on me. so that's how I made my debut at Oxford University with oh, my bare skin showing and oh dear God what a state but as the proudest man in the whole wide world if you know what I mean I was really 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 proud Gil Morgan had won the championship then of course in 69 and I finished I think they finished second or third in 1970 so they, they had a, a very very good side you know like Roy Frederick's um, Magic Khan, Alan Jones, Ivan Jones, Malcolm Nash, Tony Lewis—of course, you know—was there as well. You know, so the, lots of international cricketers. And then, uh, then there was myself who uh, come come down from Lords, and uh, we ha- we had. Uh, I I got one thing here, which is quite funny. Um, well, you might not think it's funny, but uh, in any case, I got uh, in 1973. We ha- I got this letter from. Willful, I don't know if you can see that. any yes. yeah? Willful, yeah. Glamorgan County Cricket Club. It? And it reads, um, please note, net practice is scheduled for the start of 10 o'clock on Monday the 9th of April at Neath Indoor School. Players will remain at Neath and do all their training there until Thursday the 19th of April. The emphasis is therefore on cricketing skills of batting, bowling and fielding and getting fit full-scale cricket is a matter you must deal with individually. So in other words, you've got to come there fully fit. also says about then the indoor nets and in view of the problems which always surround pre-season nets with regards to both travel and food, it has been decided to make a flat allowance of £1 per day, (laughs) which will cover both your car expenses and your food. (laughs) A pound a day, dear gosh. But it also says that under our new club captain, Majid Khan, and senior player, Alan Jones, and it is he who should be regarded as your father confessor, guide and mentor. Mm. (laughs) It's great, isn't it? You read, father confessor. Well, my gosh a cat player salary was 1324 pounds per annum but in 1973 it went up to 1400 pounds per annum so that's that's the sort of wages that you were you were you were on in those days and this is i'm not making uh, mockery of the wages but how things I've changed uh, please don't think i'm so my my first, this is 1973 my wages for the month was 100 pounds and then i had tax free allowance of 49 pounds 95 i taxable pay to date 50 pounds and in the end after playing in various games and having car expenses i came home for that month of april of 80, 80 pounds and 20p. <laughs> That's great. Isn't it? Look at all these footballers' wages today. That was for a month. No, so because we, we talked
2: about, um, you talked about how you started at Lords, and then probably the thing that our listeners will remember you most for would have been Lords again in 1977. Do you want to tell us a bit more about that day?
1: Gillette Cup final. Yeah, we played the quarter final against Worcestershire at Worcester. Worcester will. Winning it easy, and a um, great pal, Arthur Francis, uh, he sort of was hung in there and everything else, and they kept Manburn Holder back to basically to try and finish us off. But luckily enough, I got in and started uh, taking them apart and um, playing shots here, here, there, and everywhere. And Arthur, I just asked Arthur, I said, Arthur, just hang around, let me let me get at them, and then let's see how we come out of this, you know, and. As things as things started to to sort of turn in our favour, still struggling, but turning in our favour. The committee of Worcester had already prepared all the champagne and celebrations and everything else, and you can see them all laughing and joking and drinking and everything else. And the more it was going on, the more. It was, and then Van Duren came on for his last stint. I started playing shots against Vanny as well, and uh, we got right the way through. And then I got given out lbw. Uh, to a chap named Cedric Boynes and Arthur uh, uh, carried on and he hit the last ball for four and we actually won the game which was absolutely brilliant because everybody was so excited and I got given Man of the Match medal as well for getting up to the rate and and getting us in that position so it was a great bonus for me as well but I, I was I was because we used to travel in four cars and a van. So we'd, we'd now gone into the committee room and various other places, drinking their champagne and, and whatever they had on offer. And so most of the boys were quite merry at this time and we were really, really enjoying ourselves. And uh, we'd run through to the traveller's rest in ross on Wye, where there was the Glamorgan supporter, who was the manager of the place, and he said, you've got to come back to hours. So we all piled into to the traveller's rest and we didn't leave there until early hours of the morning. I must admit, we, we did have a few orange aids, I'm sure, but uh, we were driving away and I had a sponsored car and I had, you know, the daffodils on it with Mike Llewellyn and Alan Jones was, was in the front seat and Ivan Jones is in the back seat and they were singing away and we were all having a great time until we got into Glen when we got flashed down by the police. <laughs> Oh, no. So I knew I was way over the limit, and we all were. And uh, I confess to that. Oh, I, I shouldn't have been drinking and driving, I know. But however, Alan was singing in the front seat. Ivan is in the back seat singing, and the, the torch came in. And um, he said, uh, where have you been, lads? And he saw the car and everything else. Oh, I said, we've been playing cricket, Osiphar. <laughs> And he said, brilliant result. He said, brilliant result. He said, who have you got next? Now he said in the semi-finals. And I think, I think it's that I said. And uh, he said, is there any chance of any tickets? I said, how many do you want? So in any right? He said, I like, don't go anywhere. He said, My car's around the corner. And he said, when I get in the car, so I give him the addresses. I followed him all the way home to drop Alan off, all the way home to drop Ivan off. And, and he was in front of me and dropped me off as well in Grove when I was living. It was fantastic. Oh, unbelievable. But so we got him the tickets, though. That, were, that was great. But, uh, then we went on. Oh, we, we beat Leicester. That, that was over three days. That, that was uh, really great. And then we went on to Lords. then on September the 3rd. I think it was uh, September the 3rd 1977 and it it had been pouring down with rain most of the week and yet on the on the day it was absolutely glorious sunshine absolutely beautiful unfortunately we lost the toss and they put us to bat so in other words every time we were piercing the, out, uh, the inner field Instead of it going for four, they were only going for two, you know, unless you really caught one superbly. But that, that was it. So our score wasn't as good as what we wanted it to be. Selby got Alan. I couldn't understand why they batted um, Rodney or played Rodney at three instead of Arthur. Um, so College King was our overseas player. Uh, he went in at four. I went in at five. And uh, we were behind the rate and everything else. And John and myself sort of pulled it together. we were going on quite nicely. And, and then uh, I think it was after lunch, John got rolled over by Phil Edmonds. And incidentally, they had eight international cricketers playing for uh, Middlesex. You know, a, a really wonderful side captain by Mike Brealey, of course. Selby, Edmonds, Edmury, Embury, Barlow, uh, Gatting. Mike Gatting, and uh, so great sight. So we needed to crack on, and um, I'd already hit uh, sort of, I think it was either one or two sixes, and we were getting on with the game nicely, so I kept on sort of hitting it as uh, hard as I could, straight as I could, and then it was John Embry's final delivery from the pavilion end, and I thought, well, John, you've just got to go. And, uh, and I anticipated you know, where he was going to bowl it. So I came down the wicket and um, struck him. And the ball just kept going and going and going. And it was going upwards. And it hit this little MCC sign on top of the little pillars either side of the, uh, the main pavilion. You get the main pavilion. Then there's the pillars on top, and then the MCC. And it hit that on the the way up. And it was incredible. And I can always remember everybody sort of, instead of looking that way, they were just looking like that. And it was just incredible. And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a big, I still got the bat. I still got the bat and the ball. Oh, gosh, the ball was retrieved by the uh, fire brigade. And it had rolled from that MCC sign just down into the gutters. And they, they presented me with the ball later. I still got the bat, but it was only um, about two pounds five, two pounds six ounces in weight. So these days they have these very, very large bats and um, they're not uh, pressed really hard, you know. So there, there's a lot of, lot of bat there. But that was the. So they regard as the biggest six ever seen entered Lords, which is which is really great. And then when I, when I eventually got out um, because there was very few overs left, I got caught deep long on uh, off uh, Norman Featherston, and my gat- Gatting caught me way right on the boundary as it was going over. but uh, uh, when we started the Middlesex started their innings. The first ball of that uh, innings, um, Mike Breeley Mike got caught behind off Malcolm Nash. And the whole place just erupted, absolutely went ballistic, you know. And um, it, we, we went on and we, we dropped a couple of vital catches. Collis King dropped Radley on, he'd only had a few, straight straight in and straight out. And we, we've we all done it before. We've all done it before. And Ivan dropped him behind as well. Difficult chance, low down. But it's always if, and we could have done this and we could have done that. Catches win matches. If we'd have caught our catches, we would have won that match. But unfortunately, we, we, we didn't, uh, which is a, a great shame. But in saying that, after the game, Mike Breedy really said, didn't even know who had actually won the game because the response from the Welsh public was absolutely phenomenal. And they were all below for hours afterwards, just chanting away and singing Welsh songs and having a, having a wonderful time, you know. So it was, a, it was a great, great day. Yeah.
2: You played until, right, I'm right, i thinking 1982 was your last season
1: yeah that's it i'd as the years were going on i I'd, I'd struggled with injuries um i had four knee operations i broke my jaw i broke three fingers but it was the knees that got me in the end and i i struggled and my form dipped as well it was really um it went down because i couldn't i couldn't place any balance on my left leg my left leg was all in enemy, and not only that, I had another two on my right knee. And it was due to, you know, a lot of uh, injuries through the damage into the patella, cartilage and so forth through the force of cricket balls chipping bits off my knee. So unfortunately, uh, as my form dipped and everything else, I finished in 19, I think it was 1982. But for me to have all those wonderful years, um, playing cricket uh, for a great county is uh, one hell of a privilege I can tell you and then what did you do next after finishing your cricket career panic <laughs> completely panicked I thought oh my god oh what am I going to do I got no qualifications whatsoever so I saw this job advertised um uh, it was a representative for Riley's snooker now Riley's is the Largest snooker company in the world, and they were based in Accrington, as in Accrington Stanley, the football club. <laughs> but in any case, I applied for an in, an interview, right, for this job. It was a junior representative job for Riley's, and the interview took part at the regional branch in Neath. knowing to me, Eric Park's friend was David Lloyd. Bumble, Lancashire County Cricket Club captain, and he'd uh, he'd spoken to Eric, and of course I, I knew David very well over the years, playing against Lancashire and so forth. And in any case, uh, I, I was at uh, home, and a phone call rang, and it was Eric Park, and he said, "Mike, I'm delighted to tell you we've decided to give you the job with Riley's." Oh my gosh, I was chef I was up jumping up and down after I thought I'd put the phone down mine I jump up and down jumping here there and everywhere and that's how I started in the Snooker world you know I didn't know anything about snooker but I was really keen to to learn I went out with the engineers I knew all the technical terms I could strip a table down I could find faults eventually oh my god that sounds like bragging doesn't it yeah. but <laughs> not really only what I was doing is just sort of uh, Learning what, what how things were put together, which I love, you know. I, practically, I love doing things, carpentry, and various other things. so, I really enjoyed that. I, luckily, I went on to become a regional sales manager, then national sales sales manager of, of Riley's, you know, and uh, just, it was just incredible uh, how, how my development. But it's only by processing everything, relating everything to the way cricket is and sport in general. It's um, it, they've got a lot of things in common, loads of things in common, you know, and uh, you, you, you try your best to get um, uh, as far as you possibly can. And uh, that, that's the way it went. And then eventually then I, um, I started my own company, um, which was a company by the name of called Absolute Snooker. I bought a warehouse um, and converted all that, did most of the kitting out myself. And then it just went on from there. Uh, we had uh, the headquarters then in Swansea, and we had um, um, engineers throughout the country, one in London, uh, one in Bristol, uh, one in Exeter, one in Neath, one in Swansea. And we covered more or less the whole of the United Kingdom, refurbishing snooker tables, etc., and also setting up events as well, like the Rothmans Grand Prix in Malta. And uh, so that was... That was uh that was lovely times I had a, a terrific uh, career loved every every single minute of it and as you can see that we didn't play for the money but that's not a criticism either in any way shape or these guys that earn all these mega money today and everything else and and good for them uh, but we certainly didn't play for the money that's for sure
2: so it's, it's very evident, just as a, uh, a final thing, it's very evident that you, you know, have so many stories, you loved playing for Glamorgan, you remember it very fondly. What role do you think it's played in your life as a whole?
1: Oh, the, the, the greatest thing that it's played in my life, it's made, it made me grow up. I mean, when you come as a child, the way I have, um, right the way through, it taught me professionalism, um, it taught me to have fun and laughter as well. It broadened my mind because I was playing uh, and being with um, sportsmen who have, have got a great look outlook on life. I mean, we all have like problems sometimes, and it's brought to the front these days about mental problems and so forth and everything else. Don't get me wrong; we were depressed years ago if we couldn't get runs and wickets, <laughs> but. You know you've got to go through these things, but uh, the the one of the biggest things was going to Lords for me, being present and correct, making sure that I dress correctly, absolutely spotlessly clean, showering twice a day as a norm after uh, before uh, getting changed to go out and train. After you've trained, coming back, shower, shave, make sure you are absolutely immaculate your clothes are immaculate. Your sh- your shoes are immaculate, everything had to be right. And, and I've carried that forward. And my wife tells me she's never seen anybody that's so tidy in all, in all her life, you know. And I've got to have it absolutely bang on. Brought that through to my business as well. Um, everything had to be correct, everything never cut any corners, always with all the equipment. And everything that we sold, all the products that we used and our snooker tables, refurbishing them, had to be the best. Quite easily, you could have cut corners like other people did. I never believed in that. And then uh, my philosophy was, tell people what is right. And even if you don't get the job, at least you've told them the truth. Um, And and that's the way I've gone throughout my life. And uh, cricket has done that for me. And uh, it is a big,
2: big learning curve. Well, thank you very much, Mark. You've been incredibly generous of your time. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast.
1: It's an absolute pleasure, Jan, and it's really nice to meet you. But as I said, uh, we'll get together now at a players' reunion and uh, we'll we'll have a good old natter then. Sounds perfect. You take care. Lovely to speak to you.
0: Many thanks to Jan for allowing Mike to talk to us so freely. If we used a chuckleometer, I think it would have broken by the end of that chat. Next week our guest will be lifelong Glamorgan supporter and cricket writer David Battersby. His book, In the Shadow of Packer, outlining the story of England's winter tour to Pakistan and New Zealand in 1977-78, was published in 2016. He'll be talking to us about his limited edition pamphlets and his lifelong passion for Glamorgan County Cricket Club. So do join us then for some more great stories about the great game of cricket in the great country of Wales. Hoyle Vau, bye for now.
2: Roedd gyda chi stori yw'r rhan ni gyda ni. Mae croeso i chi gysylltu. Ebosiwch mwcpod1921 at gmail.com, neu ewch i'n tudalu Facebook, Museum of Welsh Cricket Podcast, neu i'n tudalu yn Twitter, at Welsh Cricket Pod. Do you have a story you'd like to share with us? If so, please contact... Email mwcpod1921 at gmail.com or go to our Facebook page Museum of Welsh Cricket Podcast or our Twitter at Welsh Cricket Pod.